Thomas uh, Manton was a, a Puritan preacher in the 17th century. He was actually a, a chaplain to Oliver Cromwell. And in one of his many writings, uh, he wrote this. He said, divisions in the church always breed atheism in the world. Divisions in the church always breed atheism in the world. In other words, uh, when people look at the church and they see it split by divisions and arguments and squabbles, they think, well, if that's what it means to believe in God, then I don't want to have anything to do with it. And in many ways, what Thomas Manton said is true. Uh, I'm sure we all find it depressing when we look on churches and we see uh, the petty squabbles that so often happen, uh, the uh, almost uncountable number of uh, different groups that exist within Christianity. And uh, it's not surprising that many on the outside uh, laugh and are tempted to dismiss the church as a result. Uh, but slightly ironically, I would like to, in a small way, disagree with what Thomas Manton said. Uh, as we've said, it is, of course, true that uh, petty squabbles are a disgrace to the church. But I would disagree with his words because they could give the impression that the mere presence of arguments, the mere presence of division and confrontation in the church necessarily means that something is wrong. But that is not always the case. And we know that's not the case because the Bible itself says so. Uh, I've put a verse in your service sheet, which I'll read now. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 18 to 19. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And he writes this. He says, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Interesting verse, isn't it? Paul says there must be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized. Paul says that disagreements, arguments, divisions are inevitable even in churches because that is how what is true and what is good and what is right is recognized. If we say that there must never be arguments in the church, if we say there must never be any contentions, no divisions, then we also have to say bye-bye to any conception of truth and lies 
of right and wrong. Because otherwise, what will you do when someone comes into the church and starts saying things which are not true? We can't have arguments, so we just have to let it slide. What if someone comes and they are promoting evil? If we can't have contentions, then we mustn't object to what they are saying. So you see, division and arguments, though unpleasant, are sometimes, not always, sometimes necessary. Uh, Just like war. Uh, Nobody would say war is a good thing. War is a tragic thing. But I'm sure we can all appreciate that war is sometimes necessary. Um, I'm sure all of you, uh, all of us have heard of Mahatma Gandhi, a very famous, uh, I think he was Hindu, I'm sure he was Hindu, um, peace activist of the last century. But did you know that he wrote an open letter to the British government, and I think other governments as well, before the Second World War? Uh, Things were heating up and people could see the Second World War happening down the tracks, and people were making preparations for War And Gandhi wrote an open letter to the British government. And this is what he said. He said, I would like you to lay down your arms you have as being useless for the saving of you or humanity. You will invite Herr Hitler and Signor Mussolini Mussolini, to take what they want of the possession of your beautiful island with your beautiful buildings. You will give all of these, but neither your souls nor your minds. Well, that's wonderful advice, isn't it, (laughs) from Gandhi, uh, saying, please give in to Hitler. Lay down your arms, if necessary, give up your land to Hitler, because at least you'll save your soul in the process. Gandhi, unfortunately, did not understand the Bible's teaching on these matters. Uh, It is a government's role, in part, to protect its people, to, if necessary, defend by force. To be clear, it's not the church's role, it's not our role to fight, to defend by force, but it is the government's role. And you can see the devastating consequences if the British government had taken Gandhi's counsel. Thankfully, they didn't, and we are free today as a result. But you see how sometimes confrontation, sometimes argument, sometimes division is necessary in order for truth to stand. This is why Jesus said on one occasion, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to separate mother-in-laws from daughter-in-laws, fathers from sons, brothers from sisters, because some will believe on him and believe that he is the Christ, he is the king of this world, and others will reject him. And that will necessarily create divisions. If you believe that Jesus is the king of this world, your life will have to be different from the person who says he is not. A division is unavoidable. 
And that's the tragic thing about our society, our society we live in. Um, truth has sort of gone down the plug hole. Um, so many people today are not willing to stand on basic truths. Uh, the Bible makes very clear there is truth. There is right and there is wrong. And we should not be afraid to say what is true and what is lie. But we live in a society where the leader of the uh, Labour Party is unreluctant now to even define what a woman is. You see how truth is being eroded and people are starting to question whether there is truth at all. But the Bible says, yes, there is. And his name is Jesus Christ. But having said all that, uh, there is good division and there is bad division. There are righteous arguments and there are petty squabbles. So what I want to do uh, for the rest of our time this morning is look at an example from the Bible uh, from this chapter, Joshua 22, of an argument done rightly, of a contention that ends in the right way and is gone about correctly in a righteous way. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, it would be helpful to have them open at Joshua 22 as we look at this example of a good argument. And uh, Let's look, first of all, how the argument started. The argument started innocently enough. Uh, as I said earlier, the tribes of Reuben, of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh had got all the way to the eastern side of Jordan. For they looked around and they saw that the land was good pasture land. And they had many sheep and goats and cows. And they looked at the land and they thought, this is good enough for us. This will suit us just fine. We want to stay here. We do not want to cross the Jordan into the rest of the promised land. Now, initially, Moses, who was leading the people, was displeased. And he said to Gad, to Reuben, and to Manasseh, you can't. You can't stay on this side because you would be depleting our armed forces. We're about to enter the promised land, and there's going to be a long war. And if you all stay back here, we're going to lose all your fighting men. So no, you can't go. You can't stay here. But eventually they reach a compromise. And uh, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, they say, we will send our fighting men with you. Uh, our, family and our, herd, our families and our herds will stay on the east side of Jordan but we'll send our fighting men with you and they will return when the fighting is complete. Moses says that's fine. And that is the agreement they come to. Now just to pause for a moment, there is a lesson worth noting here. And the lesson is simply this, that just because uh, people you know and people you love make choices that you may not like, does not mean that it's necessarily wrong for them to make that choice. As long as they are fulfilling all their legitimate obligations, as long as they are not um, uh, refusing some legitimate uh, responsibility they have, then they are entitled to make choices that you may not like. 
I'm sure the rest of the tribes of Israel were not thrilled about Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh staying behind. But they had the right to. It was legitimate. And in smaller ways in our lives, we can see examples like that. Uh, Perhaps you're in a relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend and there's been no promises made. Uh, There's been no commitments given. Uh, You are only boyfriend and girlfriend and one or the other decides that the relationship is not for them. Uh, They have the right to end that relationship if there are no commitments in that relationship. You may not like that decision on their part, but you should not be eaten up with bitterness that they do. Uh, You might be at work and a work colleague decides to resign and it will make your workload harder. But again, as long as they are fulfilling their commitments and their responsibilities and they're not breaking any agreement, then they have the right to leave that job. Uh, And I could give example after example of things like that where we have friends or we have family and they make choices that we do not like but they're not necessarily wrong. And many squabbles, many resentments would be avoided if we appreciated that people are allowed to make such choices. And that's what happens here. Um, Gad, Reuben, Manasseh, their families and their herds stay on the east side of Jordan, but they fulfill their obligation to remain with the army so that their strength is not depleted. And come back to the story. Uh, The conquest of Canaan happens. God gives Israel the victory and the fighting men return to the east side of Jordan. And this is where we pick up the reading that we we pick up the story at the reading we read. Because they return and they realize that there's a potential danger here. Because they are separated by the River Jordan. They are separated from their brothers and sisters and from the tabernacle where the people of Israel worshipped. And they think, what will happen in generations to come if perhaps the children of the people on the west side forget about the relationship they have with us on the east side? And what if their children say to our children, you're not with us? We're people of the east side. We're the true um, people of God. You are just Easterners. Uh, You are just people on the other side of Jordan. And so, to try to keep the tribes joined together, whether they be on the west or the east, they decide to build a huge altar. As it said in verse 10, it was a great, impressive altar. And this was to be a monument to the people on the east side of Jordan, that God was their God too. It wasn't to be a place of worship. It wasn't to be a place where they offered sacrifices, but it was simply to be a reminder that their God was the same God as the God who uh, they worshipped in the tabernacle on the other side. But then we see how the argument escalates. And we see what happens next in verse 11. It says, now, the children of Israel heard someone say, behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan, in the region of the Jordan, on the children of Israel's side. 
And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Now, you might think, well, that's a bit of an overreaction. (laughs) They build an altar on the other side, and they immediately, on the western side, western side of the Jordan, they immediately raise an army to go to war because they've seen this great altar that has been built on the eastern side. But we're told why they react in this seemingly extreme way. They had seen in their own lifetimes the effects of what rebelling against gods has on the whole nation of Israel. Uh, They refer to, uh, did you notice in verse 17, it says, is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us from which we are not cleansed till this day? And they're referring to the time when Balaam, a wicked prophet, um, seduced Israel away from gods and they stopped following God and as a result a plague came upon the children of Israel. Uh, They mention about Achan in verse 20. Uh, Achan was a soldier in the Israelite army and God had explicitly told them when they invaded Jericho not to take any of the spoil for themselves. But Achan smuggles a cloak and I think a Um, a hunk of gold and he buries it under his tent and as a result in the next battle the Israel lose they have a terrible defeat all because of this one man Achan's sin against gods and so these Israelites they've been burnt and now they are twice shy Uh, They are terrified that these eastern tribes are now turning away from God themselves. And they're terrified of what the result will be on the whole nation of Israel. And so they raise this army because they want to deal with this potential catastrophic event on the other side of Jordan. They were willing to take drastic action so that this disease would not spread. They realized that sin in one part of the nation affects and weakens the whole. And the same is true uh, for us today in the church. Um, The Bible clearly says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Uh, In other words, a small sin in one corner has effects on the whole body. Uh, A little cancer in one part of the body has the risk of spreading to the whole thing. Uh, That's why the Bible is so so, uh, eager to warn us about the dangers of living in deliberate sins. Now, uh, obviously, we are not in exactly the same situation as these Israelites. Uh, They were in a very real war for a very real land. Uh, Our warfare is different. Uh, Christ has told us that our kingdom or his kingdom is not of this world. It's a heavenly kingdom. Uh, We're waiting for Christ to come and establish his kingdom himself on earth. Uh, So we don't fight with spears or swords or aircrafts or drones or whatever. (laughs) That's not how we fight. 
Nevertheless, we must still fight for the truth. We must be as alert as these Israelites were to the danger. Uh, Again, we don't fight with wars in the sense of uh, physical weapons, uh, but our warfare is spiritual. We must beware of false teaching. Uh, That's why every single book of the New Testament has a warning about false teaching. Uh, If we had time, I could read you verse after verse after verse where uh, the apostles and Christ himself says, beware false teachers, beware wolves in sheep's clothing, Uh, beware those who are trying to seduce us away from Christ. We must be on the alert that we are not deceived. If someone told you uh, today that there was a sniper in the streets of Billinghay, As you left this building, assuming you believed them, uh, your behavior, I hope, would be different. (laughs) You'd be alert to the potential danger. Uh, You wouldn't go out this building in the usual way because we all have a concern for our lives. We all have a concern for our bodies. But how much more should we be concerned for our souls, for what we believe? Because that actually has far more, has far more far-reaching implications than even danger to our body. It affects your life now, and it also affects your eternity. So that's the second lesson from this passage. We must be alert to the dangers around us. That's what Israel were like in this situation. Seemingly an extreme course of action, but they were alert to the danger. But lastly, let's look and see how the argument was settled. Uh, Because in the rest of the passage, we see how the argument is ended. And thankfully, the argument was not settled with an army. Uh, The army is prepared for battle, but the Israelites wisely do not just go in there and pulverize their brothers on the other side of Jordan. Instead, they had the wisdom to send a delegation first. You can see that in verse 13 onwards. It says, then the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead. And with him ten rulers, one ruler each from the chief house of every tribe of Israel. And each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. Then they came to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead. And they spoke with them. They spoke with them. That's the third and final lesson for us this evening. So many squabbles and arguments get out of hand in the church because we are not willing to speak with each other. Uh, Do you remember Christ's teaching for what we should do if someone offends us? Uh, He doesn't say, raise an army. He doesn't say respond like for like. He says go to them. Speak to them. Because if they listen to you, you have won a brother. How many arguments could be settled if only we spoke spoke to each other? 
And that's exactly what happens in this passage. Uh, the tribes meet together. They speak. The, east, uh, the western tribes address their concerns to the eastern tribes. And they're able to realize the misunderstanding that has happened. The western tribe, eastern tribes describe and they say, no, you've got this wrong. We're not rebelling against God. The opposite. We want our children to follow God too. And we're afraid that they will forget about him. So we've built this altar as a memorial to remind us who our God is. And at the end, their unity is greater than it was at the first. Uh, They could have responded in a very different way. Uh, The uh, Western tribes could have responded in a very different way. Uh, They could have responded with what I like to call the the kumbaya approach. Uh, The Western tribes could have said, ooh, uh, the the Eastern tribes, uh, they're they're building an altar. Well, I'm sure it's nothing. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's not a problem. Uh, We'll just join with them as though nothing significant is happening here. But such a response would not have been loving. Because if they truly thought maybe... They were turning away from gods. And the kindest thing to do would be to confront them with it. It reminds you of a story about a a British vice marshal um, called Alexander Adams. Uh, I think this was after the Second World War. And apparently he was driving to a meeting at his headquarters when he suddenly came upon a big sign in the road saying, road closed, unexploded bomb. And Adams called over the uh, policeman on duty to ask if there was another way around. And the policeman said to him, sorry, you can't go through. Uh, The bomb is likely to go off at any minute. But then he caught sight of Adams' uniform, and he saw that he was a vice marshal. And in confusion, he suddenly said, oh, I'm very sorry, sir. I didn't know you were a wing commander. It's quite all right for you to go through. So just think about that. What sort of uh, reaction is that from the policeman? There's an unexploded bomb in the road, and yet he sees that he's a vice marshal. And so in an effort to curry favor with his superior, he lets him go down a dangerous road with an unexploded bomb. It might seem like the way of honor. It might seem the way of respect, but it's actually the way of danger. So it is as if we ignore people who are going down the wrong path. If we see our brothers and sisters and they're going down a dangerous path, it is not loving to ignore it. It is loving to confront it. That's not what the the, uh, Israelites did not ignore it. Uh, They didn't say, oh, it doesn't matter. They confronted their brothers and sisters. And they could have responded in another way. Uh, They could have simply given the uh, eastern tribes the silent treatment. Uh, This is what many churches do with other churches they don't agree with. Uh, They could have built a huge wall on their side of the Jordan and said, well, we don't really like what they're doing over there on the other side of Jordan, but we'll just sort of leave them to it and we'll, we'll keep ourselves safe and pure over here. And they could have uh, simply ignored the problem on the other side. The problem with that 
is that although you may be isolating yourself from potential problems, you're also blocking yourself off from correction. What if you're wrong on your side? The people on the other side of the Jordan might be able to teach you something that you don't know yourself, and yet you are shutting yourself off from that. It's often the case that if you're unwilling to engage with someone who disagrees with you, it says much more about your lack of confidence about what you believe than it does about your commitment to what you believe. Does that make sense? Oftentimes, when we refuse to engage others who we disagree with, it betrays the fact that we're not really confident about what we believe in the first place. And we're willing to just shut ourselves off from people so that our happy, little, comfortable world isn't rocked. Uh, reminds me a little bit of uh, the story of the uh, Japanese soldier Hiru Onada. I apologize if I've pronounced that wrong. Uh, but if you know anything about the Second World War, you'll know that Japan surrendered uh, eventually after the uh, atomic bomb was dropped. Uh, but this Japanese soldier, Hiru Onada, fighting in the Philippines, uh, he refused to believe that his nation had surrendered. He decided it was a, a U.S. lie and a deception. And so he um, refused to surrender, and he continued to fight for 29 years. <laughs> for 29 years, he continued his own personal fight, as it turned out, uh, against the U.S. and the Allied forces. He refused to listen to the voices around him. And it wasn't actually until his commanding officer uh, was dragged out of retirement. He had become a bookseller in, uh, he owned a bookshop somewhere, I assume, in Japan. And he had to come to the island and tell Haru um, Anada that the war truly was over and he was dismissed from duty. This is the danger of uh, isolating ourselves from other believers. We may not hear something that we desperately need to hear. Again, that's not what this, the Western tribes did. They lovingly confronted their brothers and sisters. They courageously confronted their brothers and sisters. But there's one last response they could have done. Uh, and this is uh, a very emotionally satisfying one, but it would have been disastrous. Uh, they could have simply raised the army and invaded. They could have not waited to talk, not waited to listen, and they could have just crossed the Jordan and wiped out their brothers and sisters on the eastern side. They could have shot first and asked questions afterwards. Sadly, again, many Christians do that. Uh, we snipe at those who are different from us without truly understanding why they are different from us. We like to shoot first and ask questions later, if at all. One final story, there was once a US soldier called Pat Tillman, and he fought in the Afghan war, the war on terror just a few years ago. And uh, he was killed in action, and he was given the Silver Star, which I understand is a, a high presidential honor in the US Army. And initially they thought he had been killed uh, or at least they were the, his family were told that he'd been killed um, fighting enemy forces. And 
But as time went on, the truth came out. And the truth was they'd actually been killed by friendly fire. Uh, he had been out on a, on a patrol or something with four uh, allied Afghan soldiers. And his troop had been mistaken for the enemy. And they'd been fired upon by their own side. And uh, Pat Tillman was killed. And we see that tragedy. <laughs> what a tragedy to be killed by your own side. But that's happened many, many times in church history where believers have shot at their own side because they do not understand what the other side really thinks. This is why it's so crucial to listen first, to speak with those who we disagree with, even if it's only to confirm that we do actually disagree with them. So in conclusion, uh, confrontation and argument, even between Christians, is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it can lead to greater clarity and unity in the long run. Uh, so speaking personally to you, uh, if you have a dispute with a fellow believer, perhaps someone has sinned against you or appears to have sinned against you, or perhaps you see someone who seems to be believing something which is not in line with God's words, Ask yourself a few questions first. Ask yourself, why do you believe what you believe? Are you sure that you actually understand what you believe? Secondly, speak to the person you have the disagreement with. Don't ignore them. Don't snipe at them behind their back. But in love, confront them and speak to them. And lastly, have the humility to listen to what they have to say. It might be that you've made a you have had a misunderstanding. It might be that you are actually in the wrong. Have the humility to listen to what they say. And this is the true path to unity. And that's why I've chosen uh, as our final hymn, number 346. Uh, it's a hymn which reminds us of the responsibility we have to love one another even if it comes to confrontation uh, so we're going to uh, sing now number 346 blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in christian love the fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above and particularly verse six it says from sorrow toil and pain and sin we shall be free and perfect love and friendship reign through all eternity. So let's stand to sing 346.